How you doing? Happy Valentine's Day. All thanks. <sighs> My Valentine was in the first service, so... I wouldn't say I'm all alone here. I'm thinking of my one of my secondary Valentines was playing the cello this morning. My dear L. Griffin. I think she's I think she's here somewhere. There she is. Over there. Over there, okay. <laughs> you know what? With the with the blinding lights, I'm just having a Damascus Road experience here, just, just doing all I can to Anyways, this morning we're picking up part two of the I Am series. I love this series. This is one of my faves, uh, where Jesus uses this phrase, I am, seven times applying to seven different topics. Let me just do a little recap. If you weren't here last week, we we launched the series by looking into uh, John chapter 8. And in the first couple of books of the Bible, uh, following Adam and Eve and the story of Noah and the ark, uh, we get into the story of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith, and because we're from the Judeo-Christian tradition, he's, we as Christians meeting in Christian churches, Abraham is also considered a father of the faith. Abraham had two boys. Because God made him a promise when he's in his 90s. Hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, really? I'm in my 90s. So Abraham took it upon himself to, um, can I say hook up, with his maidservant. And they had a little boy named him Ishmael. And here's what happens is when you take matters into your own hands, when God gives you a promise rather than waiting on him, Ishmael, as you know, is the father of the Islamic nation. That's presented a little bit of difficulty for the Hebrew people over the years. Abraham had another boy by the name of Isaac. Isaac had another son, Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. Israel had 12 boys, the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Israel. And a few hundred years later, these same children of Israel, these same tribes were settled in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. And God promised his people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. He said, I'm going to take you to your own country. I mean, you're living here in Egypt as slaves, but I'm going to set you up. I'm going to hook you up like a tow truck. That's not an exact scriptural quote. <laughs> by the way. And God promises to take them into the promised land. And Moses says to God, because God calls Moses to lead the people out. God, Moses says to God, he says, how's this going to happen? How are we going to take a nation of slaves in the most powerful nation of the world and just, what are we going to do, just walk out? And God's like, mm-hmm. And Moses asked this very particular question. So when I go talk to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? That's a great question. And here's God's response. You see it here. Found in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. That's who you should say sent you. The I am that I am. You'll see it here on the screen. And when God says I am who I am, Matt talked about this briefly last week. Pastor Matt did. God's response is Yahweh. Now, this is such a sacred name for God because it's eternal, it's timeless. I am that I am. It presumes that God is powerful, he's everywhere, he just totally goes by time constraints. The implication of the grammar here is Jesus says the same thing. Again, they're giving him a hard time in John 8, and Jesus says, believe me, before Abraham was, he says the same phrase, I am who I am. In the Greek, that's ego, me. The grammar for that, it's not just that Jesus is stuttering when he says, I, I am. He first of all says, I, which is ego in the Greek language, because they didn't have English 2,000 years ago. It was awkward. And then, me, which means I am. So he doesn't just say, me, I am. He says, I, ego, me, I am. That construct is a reflection of the tetragrammaton. That literally means the four-letter word. The original four-letter word was Yahweh. You see it there on the screen, Yahweh. It's such a sacred name. It's, there was a reverence which shrank from the utterance of the sublime name. They were so, uh, the Hebrew scholars, as they would write copies of the Bible, they wouldn't even write Y-H-W-H, I am that I am. It was such a sacred term. They made up a name. They took the consonants from Yahweh, the vowels from Elohim, and made up the name Jehovah. And they would write that instead. That's not a real word, Jehovah. That's just something we made up. The implication here, again, he's all-powerful, all-present. He's everywhere. What Jesus is saying when he says, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I'm God. I was on the scene before Abraham was. It's, it's this powerful statement when they're saying, well, you know, who do you think you are? And Jesus comes out with this, I'm God, basically. I am that I am. It's no wonder that the Pharisees surrounding him, they began to pick up stones because he had just blasphemed. He had just, not just he'd taken the name of God in vain, but he was claiming to be God. Like, are you kidding me? Who does this Jesus think he is? And as Pastor Matt said last week, I don't think they're going after him for his grammar. They're like, Jesus, where's your grammar? And he's like, well, she's upstairs doing the knitting. Like, it's, it's not this blasphemous thing that's just bad grammar. It's blasphemous because he's saying, I'm God. <laughs> Seriously? Like, just, just now. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know what? I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> Vicariously on your behalf. Wow. Note to self. Next time it takes that long to get a joke, just shh, keep it quiet. <laughs> just laugh right away. Oh, <laughs> what is he saying? I don't understand. Works, works for me. I do it all the time. Yeah. Actually, last night I was lying in bed. I got a joke from 78. Just came. <clears throat> so anyways, Jesus saying, I am that I am. You'll see it on the following slide here. Seven implications for seven different statements that he makes following. He doesn't just say, I am the door, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, the life. No. He says, I am that I am. Again, the implication is fully. 
that he is God in these various, these seven manifestations. Lots of Old Testament manifestation of the name of God uh, and the implications of that. But here we're looking at John's gospel specifically. And today we're going into part two. That was your background summation. Today we're looking at part two in the I Am series, the seven I Am statements. And today we're focusing on I Am the Way, the Truth, the Life. It's found in John chapter 14. And today we're going to talk about uh, this simple seven-point outline, a word of comfort, a word of challenge, a word of getting closer, a word of confusion, a word of coalition, and finally, a word of calling. You good? You okay? You all right? No pressure. I'm, I don't want to wake you. It's Valentine's Day. But can we just pray for a sec before we jump into these? Thanks. Father, as we look into your word, we recognize it's already written down forever in heaven. You've already said this. And Jesus, as we look at your words this morning from John 14 and learn about how you are the way and the truth and the life, would you please visit us by the power of your spirit and by the power of your word to touch our hearts, to change us, to move us ahead in everything godly. We need your strength. We need your courage today. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation that's in my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. So going with the outline, we'll start with this, a word of comfort. Jesus comforts his disciples in John 14, verse 1. Look at these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me too. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back. I'll take you to be with me so you can be where I am. You know where I'm going. These are comforting words. I don't think there's been a sermon, funeral message that I've preached, or at least at the graveside, where I haven't in some way referred to these words. As Jesus talks about heaven, as he talks about his future plans, the disciples are stressed, the environment in Jerusalem during that Passion Week is tumultuous, to say the least. Jesus drops this on them. Hey, there's heaven. A beautiful word of comfort. But he ends with, I'm going to come back to you so that you can be with me and you can also be where I am. And then he throws this out. You know the way to the place where I am going. It's a word of comfort, but then there comes this word of challenge. There's this tension found in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord... Seriously, we don't know where you're going. So how can you say we know the way? And in the previous chapter, Simon Peter had said the same thing. Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going? You can't follow now, but you will follow me later. And Jesus is, as he gets into the conversation with Thomas and, and earlier with Peter, you see there's this tension I think it's a tension we're all familiar with. I know I am. 
God, what are you doing? God, where are we going? God, I, I can't really make sense of this. And this, this challenge, this tension, again, it's already been in the conversation. It kind of enters the conversation again. And Jesus, I'm just setting the table here for the context of where Jesus is going with the response. This is in response to, Lord, what's going on? Where are we going? You say we know where we're going, but we uh, really don't have a clue. So I think it's a context we can all relate to in some way, just not really sure of the challenges that face us. But here it is. Here's the main thrust of the text, a word of getting closer. Jesus answered, I am that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. This word in verse 7, if you really know me, gnosko, it's not like a casual, yeah, I know, yeah. It's not a superficial, mm -hmm, I get it. It's a depth of knowledge. Again, it's not just a knowledge of transmission where you're learning some facts or something's been transferred to you or a transaction of knowledge. And a lot of times that's how we do it in church, isn't it? Well, if I just knew more Bible, if I just sat through some more sermons. Now, Jesus is actually calling us again to a place of transformation. Like I know, well, as much as any man can know, I know my wife. He's really saying nothing, really. But after 28 years with her, it'll be, uh, we're celebrating our 28th wedding anniversary in May. Like we walk into a store, I can tell you what my wife likes and what she doesn't like without hurry. Because, you know, I've been to 36,824 stores <laughs> over 28 years of marriage. I know, I know pretty much what she's going to like. It's not superficial. I mean, all the stuff we've been through together. She's had four C-sections to bring four incredible children into this world. We've been through sickness and in health. We've been through richer and poorer. And forsaking all others, we've clung only to each other. So I know my wife. I, I know the kind of things she likes. I know... And Jesus is saying, again, not just superficial you know, what's my favorite color? Like, if you really know me, if there's intimate knowledge of me, that's what he's calling us to. Then you really get my heart. And I say there's transformation associated with it, because again, when there's really deep knowledge, like, I know what my wife wants, I know what she likes, and I don't do it just to keep peace in the house because she's always right anyways. It's more so the Jack Nicholson thing. I think this was from the movie As Good As It Gets where Jack says, you make me want to be a better man. Sorry, I don't really do a good Jack Nicholson. I'm, that sounded more like Tony Danza, I think, actually, to be honest. But the spirit of that, it, you make me want to be a better man. And this is what I, one of the many things I love about my wife. Like, she's such an exceptional lady. 
I want to not just be there for her, but I actually want to be better. She deserves better. She married this, but she deserves better, so I want to be a better man. There's this depth of knowledge that I actually want to be transformed. So this is the kind of knowledge that Jesus invites us into, is to really know him. Because when you know Jesus, you'll know the Father. Wow. So the invitation to get closer, again, has just broken down these, this, this claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. First of all, let's look at way. The, he, the uh, Greek word there is hodos. I am the path. I'm the road. I am I'm the way. In the first century, when Jesus said way, you've got to understand, there were all kinds of roads through the desert. There's no pavement. Not a lot of good markers, definitely no paint on the edge of the road, no reflectors. And the Like when we're talking, when Jesus said the way, this is in a season where a lot of the highways outside of town are pretty much indistinguishable. I mean, you got dirt, and then to the right you have dirt, to the left you have dirt. No lines, no stones, maybe some footprints. There's such an ambiguity. There's such an uncertainty. If you're going town to town, it's easy to get off track. It's easy to get lost. It's easy to miss a marker. And you find yourself in the middle of nowhere surrounded by thieves, like the Good Samaritan story on the Jericho Road. It ends in trouble. And for Jesus to come on the scene and say, I'm the way. Hmm. I don't think we quite get the fullness of the metaphor when we have the Trans-Canada Highway, we have Deerfoot Trail, Blackfoot Trail, Crow Child Trail, all, all these different means of getting around our city. But Jesus is saying, if you don't know where to go, I'm your road. After we had lived in Germany for three years, we changed our principal residence, we moved up to the northern part of Bavaria. And to get to the airport, we had to kind of go this way and through and up and around to the Autobahn, and that would take us back to Frankfurt. But basically, we had to go the opposite direction and then a perpendicular direction, and then we could get on the highway to go to Frankfurt. And I thought, rather than heading right, maybe I should turn left. Maybe there's another way. Note to self, you should say that to yourself when you're in the car with the GPS. Or you have data on your phone so you can use the Maps app. I remember turning left thinking, this sounds like a good idea. But again, I remember that feeling. Again, German roads are lovely. But I've noticed all the signs on them aren't in English. I remember the feeling that day of Oh, I hope I find the way. And for all of us in the room that are maybe feeling that sense of uncertainty, that ambiguity, like what, what do you do in God? What's going on in my life? There's not just this statement like, hey, I'm an option. No, there's this bold, emphatic statement from our Lord. I am that I am the road, the direction. That path when you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't know if you're ever going to make it back to civilization alive, I'm that. 
not just an option, I'm God. I've been everywhere. I know everything. I have all powerful ability. Like, I, I'm the way. And Jesus is saying, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Like, you know the fullness of the way. Like, don't stress. Don't panic. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Man, trust in me. I'm the way. Wow. What a beautiful assertion from our Lord Jesus. And then from there, he doesn't just leave it as I am the way, but then he comes with the second one, I am the truth. You'll see it here on the screen. Aletheia, the, not just something that is true, the opposite of false, but he's saying, I am the full embodiment of everything that is true and right. I'm the truth. And again, this phrase, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free out of John 8. He's not really saying you'll know stuff. He's saying you'll know me. You put Jesus into the equation. He says, I am truth. You'll know the truth. You'll know me and I'll set you free. This profound statement from Jesus is not just that he can tell you a couple things that are accurate, that he can tickle your burning ears with some really neat knowledge or factoids. No, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of everything that is right and true and accurate. Wowzers. And not just that I am true, but I am that I am. I'm God who is true. And then the third one you'll see here on this slide. Not just I'm the way and I'm the truth, but I am the life. The life. The Greek word here is zoe. I like this word because it has some zing, some zang, some pizzazz. Anything that has a Z in it is pretty exciting. Pizza. Like, I mean, it's just thrilling. <laughs> Zoos. Like, there's... Um, Jesus is not just saying I'm that time span of 40 or 60 or 80 or 100 years, whatever you get on this planet. It's, look at this Edison, sorry, Lincoln quote. It's not just uh, the years that you have in life, but it's the life that you have in your years. This is, this is, what, uh, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the, the life, the essence of life that you have. He says, I'm not just a time frame. I'm... I'm the energy and the power behind it. When they translated the Old Testament, like when they did this a couple thousand years ago, translated the Old Testament into the Greek language, Genesis 2, verse 7, it says that God breathed, it says this in the Hebrew, God breathed life into Adam's nostrils. The word for life there is zoe. He breathed the essence of life. And Jesus said, that's, that's what I am. I, I am your essence of life. I'm the power. I am the energy of life. Hmm. And I look at these three, how they've been coupled together. Jesus says, I am that I am the way. I'm the road. Like again, when you're lost, I'm there for you to guide you, to lead you, to direct you. I'm the truth. 
not just a few facts. I'm the full embodiment of the truth that is going to set you free. It's not a thing. It's not an abstract concept. It's me. I am what is true. And I'm the very essence. As the Old Testament says, it's in him that we live and move and have our very being. Jesus is saying, I'm that. You couple the three together. And for me, I know it takes my head, it takes my gaze out of my navel. That says, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, where I don't understand. How, how come I prayed for this person and they got a little better? I prayed for that person and things got worse. Like I, God, I don't understand. Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? This is what I want you to see. Those are nice discussions. But I try, I, I try to get my head around this. Like, I'll never figure out an eternal God and how he operates. And I find the more I try to figure it out, again, I wish I had answers for you. I don't. But I have Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In the Old Testament, the psalmist said these words. He said, I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, why things turn out the way they do. And here's his response. He says, all of this was oppressive to me. I know, I took philosophy courses in university. I understand oppression. Like the more you love wisdom, the more you realize it's not solving anything. We could talk all day. We won't get our answers. But again, the psalmist said, all of this was oppressive to me until I entered your sanctuary. And I, I saw their end result. I, I saw where they would end up. I saw the big picture. I saw eternity. What he's really saying is I saw God. He's pointing us to this, to Lord Jesus who says, listen, it, if you're looking for answers, Come to me, all you that are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle, humble. You'll find rest for your souls. The solution is not in, in actual answers. It's in a person. And Jesus invites us into this dialogue. He, he invites us into this relationship. But please understand, the answer is not a literal, written, or some kind of cognitive answer. It's Jesus. That may sound too simplistic for you, but listen, my kids, when they were little, when they were two and three years old, they got this. I remember my firstborn, Brindley, four years old, goes off to kindergarten. I believe it was October of that year, there was a little boy, he was having a difficult time in the sandbox, and they went over to the water station, he was having difficulty there, got all wet went to the paint station, made a big mess, and he was right on the edge of tears. My four-year-old daughter went up to him and said, you know, Jesus can help you. Jesus is very good at helping us little people. Can I pray with you? <laughs> She's four. She's four. Oh, Jesus, help us. Like kids, kids get this. That the full solution is not a literal solution. It's found, again, in the embodiment of who Christ is.
by faith, we receive that. Sure, sure, we invite him into our journey. We try to rationalize. We try to think things through. But scripturally, it ends with oppression. Until you trust him. And, and that's what this invitation is. Is Jesus is inviting us. Listen, I am the way. I am that I am the truth. I am that I am the life. Trust me. Wow. But then there comes this word of confusion on the next slide. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we're good. That'll be enough for us. Again, the book of Exodus says, God said, you can't see my face. No one can see me and live. Philip is saying, if we could just, if we could just see the Father, we'd be set. Philip is missing the point. Because the answer lies in Jesus. Philip is looking for this overwhelming God encounter. And Jesus is saying, look, it's here in the flesh. Philip is confused. He's looking for something big. He's looking for pizzazz. He's looking for wow. And Jesus said, I know you're expecting someone to come and conquer the Romans. I'm just here. I'll be riding on a donkey dealing with internal issues instead. Awkward. I was just expecting God to wave his magic wand and my life would be better. And God's saying, no, I want to live inside of you and help you from the inside out. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I can help. I'm God. And today he's extending that same invitation to us where we're looking for God to come through larger than life. He's saying, no, I, I, I want your heart. And here it is. This is the word of coalition. Jesus said, Phil, don't you know me even after I've been with you for such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The wor words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. It's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Hmm. Again, there's this tendency of the people of the first century to look for something huge. And Jesus is saying, listen, you've seen me, seen the Father, same thing. It's not what we were expecting. It's not what we were hoping for. We were hoping for a redeemer who would come and destroy the bad guys and here you are, born in a feeding trough. No place to lay your head at night. Hmm. We were expecting some more pizzazz. And Jesus says, you know what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I get this with my older son, Wesley, all the time. It's funny, I, I was preaching a camp uh, a couple years ago, out here in Alberta actually, just south of Medicine Hat at Eagle's Nest Ranch. And I'd been going to the camp already for a couple of years, and I don't know if you know this about me, but when I'm standing around, I'm, I'm a hands on the hips kind of guy, just comfortable for me. I like to fold the arms, hands on the hips. My son walks into the room. I've known the director for a few years and the camp director sees my son. And my son walks into the room 
stands right there and says, hey, how you doing? Hands on the hips, and I was just like, wow. The, the camp director looks at him and says, if you've seen the father, you've seen the son. <laughs> and it's, it's scary, because like, I, I, like, I don't remember a time when Wesley was a young man saying, okay, son, hands up on the hips, this is how we do it. This is how we look really cool. <laughs> like, I didn't teach him that. It's just, it's just how it is. He's got all these quirky little nuances, and people say, that's weird, why do you do that? And then they look at me and go, ah. Oh. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree with worms. So it's this, this, I don't even know what that means, really. <laughs> but that, that's just how it is, right? It's not necessarily genetic. Maybe some of it is genetic. Some of it's learned behavior. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you've seen me, you get my dad. Like, yeah, I'm in a body. I've taken all the glory that's from God and I've put it in a body bag. Temporary, just here for 33 years, and then gone. But what you see now in terms of character, in terms of what's going on in the inside, this is God full on. I am that I am, the way I am that I am, the truth I am that I am, the life. And if you've seen me, you've seen your heavenly Father. We're basically one and the same. And, and again, these qualifying statements at the end of verse 11. Believe me when I say that the Father's in me. Or, or at least believe the stuff I'm doing. Uh, let actions speak louder than words. And what was Jesus doing everywhere he was going? He's preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing everything in sight, And again, he invites us into that journey of doing good, of transforming our world. My last point, there's a word of calling. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the stuff I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. That's what I want you to see is, is we're not on our own in this. I am that I am your path, the way to go. I'm the fullness of truth. I'm the one who's actually going to set you free. And I'm going to give you life. Again, the thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. But I have come so that you can have life to the fullest. I know what you're saying. Well, Mark, you don't get it. Like, my situation sucks. You know, that full life stuff and Jesus being the life, that's not for me. The stuff I've been through, the sickness, the family problems, the relationships, I'm sorry, that's just not for me. Let me just remind you, if you're going through a hard time, it's not what God has called you to be. That's a season. It's just a season. I mean, I'd be glad to compare notes with anybody in this room. Got it all. Sickness, death, all kinds of different problems, relationship problems, 
things that are right in my face. Like, I know what it's like to go through a few months of difficulty. I know what it's like to go through a year or two of difficulty, but maybe you're like me and you can relate to going through decades of difficulty, but it's still a season. It's just a season. That verse we had on the screen underway, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and eternal pleasures at your right hand. And again, James was one who's familiar with difficulty. It's, it's, the New Testament is filled with the journey of suffering and pain and a theology of suffering. Jesus didn't prophesy a lot of things, but he did say, you're going to face hardship. But I've overcome the world. Like there's this dynamic marriage between suffering and joy. That's why James said, count it all joy whenever you face trials, difficulties, problems of many kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith, here it is, develops something. Patience, perseverance. They must have their perfect work so we can be mature and complete, not lacking any good thing. So James says, when the hard time comes your way, turn your ringer off. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> Folks, please understand, I understand difficulty, but I understand the calling that Jesus is bringing us into. He's saying, yeah, you're going through hard times, but we're going to get over this. We're going to get through this. Yeah, you're going to face difficulty, but I've overcome the world. He's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Don't get stuck in your difficulty. Don't camp there. Don't build a home there and say, yeah, sucks to be me. Life sucks, then you die. No, it's time to move through and recognize that he is the way. He is the full embodiment of truth. He is the life-giving God. And he invites us into a place where we participate with the Father and the Son. And again, this is the punchline of the whole thing. The way and the truth and the life. That's not actually the pinnacle of the paragraph you just read in John 14. It's here. It was here. <laughs> he invites... <laughs> wow, that was awkward just for a second there. He invites us to ask. He invites us to... I appreciated so much what Colton said. This... Man, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to sleep all our kids on the Mexico trip. It's, it's Easter Sunday, for goodness sake. But Colton came and landed on this that he was sharing with us this morning. Ask for whatever you want. Not, well, let me just figure out why God doesn't answer prayer. Where does it say in Scripture we're supposed to figure that out? I appreciate trying to figure it out, but listen, if you get stuck there, it's flipping depressing, isn't it? There's something about saying, well, I don't know why. Sometimes he answers my prayers and sometimes he doesn't, but he's invited me to ask the Father. He said, ask for anything in my name. Like, go ahead, transform your world. Believe for miracles. Believe for better. Pray into something better. He's calling us to this place, not of death and not of resignation and, oh no, it's not going to happen. He calls us saying, listen to me, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
Get your eyes off of circumstance and come with me. Let's ask for things. Let's believe for things. Let's see our world transformed. Because he's the way. When there is no way, he's the road. He's the path. And when nothing else makes sense, when I... When I'm walking by sight instead of by faith, He's the truth. He's the truth that's going to set me free. Not me figuring it out, but by faith saying, yes, Lord, I believe, and I believe that you're the life. You are the life-giving God. He invites us into a place where God, the life-giver, the giver of life, the one who breathed that Zoe, that life, into the nostrils of Adam, is here today to breathe life into his people. Listen, I don't know what everybody's going through. I just read some more depressing news this morning. Here I was on Facebook because there was a few messages. Just looking for, you know, a nice note from some of my friends, and I find out, well, great, our houses are worth 9% less in Calgary. Praise the Lord, it's Sunday. Like everywhere I go, there's negativity, there's... Just there's dismal things. There's things I'm trying to sort through. But he invites me into his life. Again, he said to his disciples, hey, are you going to desert me too? And they're like, Lord, no way. You alone have the words of eternal life. Oh God, that we would see that this morning. That he is the life-giving God. He's not just a friend. He's not just someone that walks with us in a dark and depressing journey. He leads us to a place of peace and hope and joy. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because He's with us. His rod and His staff, they give us comfort. Check it out. He prepares a table before us in the presence of, of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cups run over and for sure... Goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Please don't get stuck in the valley. He is the way. He's going somewhere. He's taken us through, bringing us through to a place of completion and wholeness, a place of shalom, a place of perfection where nothing is missing and nothing is lacking. He is the truth. And He is the life. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. How you doing now? I don't know about you, but as I read through these words, I am the way and the truth and the life, I found such, not just comfort, but such a, a positive sense of what God is doing. I just want to touch on something that's in your bulletins. It's this blue paper. Back in March of 2015, the Alberta government passed some legislation called Bill 10. The enactment of Bill 10 is found in the guidelines that were released uh, January 13th of 2016. These guidelines are demanding that our schools, public and private, come up with some new transgender guidelines by March 31st, 2016. There's a website behind me there on the screen called Family Should 
www.nobeknow.com. Both on the sheet that's in your bulletin and on the website, there are five key issues with uh, these guidelines that came out January 13th. There's imposed illegality, there's child safety, parental rights are being threatened, human rights are being threatened, and schools are becoming liable and are no longer autonomous to make their own decisions. Those are the five key issues that have been identified in recent weeks by a number of educators and concerned parents, lawyers, leaders from all over our province. Consequently, this website is, is up, and this is in your bulletin. I would really encourage you. The website's listed right there on the back of this page, familyshouldknow.com. The website has five key issues identified, but then there's four practical action steps that you can take. If you, like me, are a concerned parent, I mean, potentially we have a heyday for young boys who, you know, 13, 14 years of age, all they have to do is mention that they're feeling of a different gender any particular day and they can hang out in the girls' change rooms, hang out in little girls' washrooms. This is scary and creepy. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do is join me as concerned parents and take steps of action. The four very clear action steps are found on the website. You know what, signing a petition is okay, but the website has three other profound action steps that will actually bring change in our province. If you'd like more information about this, I don't want to pressure you, uh, but if you join me, not this auditorium, but the auditorium next door, Theater 5, we'll just gather for like, seriously, six, eight, ten minutes max before you go off for your Valentine's lunch. And if you want further information, you have questions, I'll just give you a brief synopsis of this so that we can act on it. Does that make sense? And I'd invite you to do something rather than waiting for everybody else. We are the somebody else. So if you'd join me for 10 minutes, not this theater, but Theater 5 immediately following the service, I'd love to talk to you about that for a couple minutes. No pressure. Can we pray? Father, we just invite you today. Lord Jesus, we invite you today. Not just into the journey in general, but most specifically into our hearts, into our emotions, into our thought processes. Lord Jesus, we just ask today that you would show yourself as the way. First of all, forgive us for just kind of doing our own thing and going our own way. But also we need your help when we're just wandering around and we're not sure where to go. We need you today as the way. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are truth. That you claimed, I am that I am the truth. And thank you for this further claim that we would know the truth. We would know you and you would set us free. God, forgive us for looking to truth as a system of thought when we should have been looking to a person. 
And lastly, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are life. To know you is life eternal. Forgive us for looking for the short-term stuff. Give us eyes that would see eternity today. And Father, where the enemy has come with discouragement, depression, frustration, making our hearts disconcerted and overwhelmed, where he leaves us feeling disenfranchised and disconnected, Lord Jesus, please, would you come with life? And even now, in the name of Jesus, I just declare a word of life. Whatever that would imply today, a word of healing, a word of peace, a word of hope, a word of courage, a word of bravery. Father, would you appropriate through the power of your word and by the touch of your spirit, your life-giving presence, Father, we still our hearts today. <laughs> Knowing that in the stillness, in the quiet, in the peace of this moment, you are there. Not there passively alone, but you are there actively speaking words of hope and courage and faith into our souls that feel abandoned and rejected and alone. I declare now the life of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Father, would you lift off a spirit of heaviness that's been on your people? Father, please, would you just speak a clarifying word that just blows away the fog that's been over our minds and our hearts. And right now, in Jesus' name, I call life the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to breathe into us, to quicken our mortal bodies, to shake off the heaviness of the chains, to lift off the cobwebs that have been on our minds and our souls and our spirits. Today, Father, not by my authority, but by the authority of your Son, Lord Jesus, I decree and declare life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You were the one gutsy enough to speak into a tomb where Lazarus was and say, come here. Lazarus, come here. We hear your call today, Lord Jesus, a call to life, a call to the way, a call to the truth. Lord Jesus, we run to you in our hearts, in our minds, with our prayers. We run to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray in the name of Christ, our Lord, with thanksgiving. So hear the word of the Lord. David said about him,
because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I stood here 51 weeks ago today and made that same declaration over you. And this year, again, my wife's been through all kinds of sickness. My daughter's been through all kinds of sickness, faced lots of opposition. But I want to say again today, because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. My God, Lord Jesus said that he was and is and always will be the way. He also said that he always has been, he is, and he always will be the truth. He always has been, he always will be, and he is right now the life. So my declaration over you today in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord is that his life is in you. And because he's at your right hand, you're not going to be shaken. The ministry team people are going to be here on my right. They'd be delighted to pray with you. If there's something you're going through and you're just not feeling, you're just not seeing, you're just not sensing the life of God, they're going to stand with you and declare truth over you that Jesus is who he said he was. I bless you today that you would know the way, that you would have intimate knowledge of the truth of who our Lord Jesus is, and that you would just be filled to overflowing with his life. So much so that regardless of the circumstance you're going through, regardless of what the enemy would hurl at you to set you back on your heels, that you would still smile at others. You would declare life and hope onto your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends and family who are the very personification of miserable circumstances. That you would be able to breathe hope and courage into them to see the transformative power of our Lord Jesus Christ through you to them, regardless of what you're facing. Because to know him is life forever. So, Father, in Jesus' name, may your life rise up in your people today. May your hope and courage rise up in them. Because the Lord is at our right hand, we will not be shaken. Father, we declare your life and truth, not just over this house, but into our very hearts. Again, we shake off the cobwebs of heaviness. We shake off the difficulty of circumstance knowing that the eternal life of God promised through Jesus Christ is already a spark within us that's growing into an unquenchable fire. Thank you that our God is a consuming fire. Lord, consume anything in us that would feel sorry for ourselves, that would get focused on the temporal instead of seeing the eternal. We want to see you today, God. Give us eyes to hear eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying to the church today. We love you, Father. We choose to respond to your word with grace and hope. Give us courage. Give us strength. We pray in Jesus' name with thanks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.